Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. My name is uh, Jacob Yarbrough, and I serve here as one of the elders at Calvary Bible Church. And I'm going to read the scripture reading this morning from the book of Colossians. I'll be reading Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And I invite you to follow along with me as I read. If then you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And may God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Cool. Uh, It's good to be here with you all today. Today I want to talk to you about your thought life. Today I want to talk to you about the thoughts that no one sees, the thoughts that you stew on, the things in your mind that you can't let go, uh, the things in your brain that affect your life in profound ways. Because our thoughts become us. Our thoughts become us. Would you agree with that? That are day-to-day thoughts, whether they're good or bad, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, whatever they are, they truly become us. So let me just, let's just begin with the question this morning. What are, what are some things, common things during the day? You don't have to incriminate yourself, okay? So plead the fifth, okay, if you want to, it's fine. But what are, what are some thoughts in our day that we think about? Just common things. Yeah, food, amen, yep, job, what else, bills, family, yep, yeah, hope the rent doesn't go up, amen, all right, what else, what's that, how others see us, very good, we think about what anything else comes to mind, what are some of the common thoughts we have during our day? Groceries, worries, stress, anxieties, what if? I wonder what they're thinking right now. In the 17th century, the philosopher Rene Descartes, in his attempt to prove his own existence, changed the world with a simple idea. He said this, I think, therefore I am. You know, he's not too far off, but a better phrase for a Christian should be, what I think on, I become. Eventually, the day-to-day thoughts we have, we become. The discouragements we ruminate on, the sins we can't let go, the stress we swirl in our mind, the blame we place on others, the bitterness we have towards a hurt from someone else, the temptations we think about, they all slowly are infiltrated into our lives. Our thoughts become us. Uh, To put it in a kind of an image form, our Thought life becomes like the Strasbourg Cathedral. Now, if you ever get a chance to go to Strasbourg, France, I would encourage you to go there, and I would encourage you to see this particular building. Uh, the most impressive building I've ever seen in my entire life was the Strasbourg Cathedral, about seven in Strasbourg, France, about seven years ago. I mean, I, unfortunately, praise the Lord, I've traveled all over the world. I've seen the Empire State Building, Hagia Sophia. I've seen a lot of different buildings in this, in this world. But that took the cake by a mile. I mean, and we saw it, Laura and I saw it almost by accident. Uh, about seven years ago, we were in southern Germany, and we were just like, okay, 
We want to go over to France just to say we went to France. Anybody ever crossed into a state just to say you've been there before? Anybody else relate to that one? So we, we drive from kind of Stuttgart, Germany, over to Strasbourg, France, and just kind of by accident. And we're touring the city, figuring out where to go. And, and, and then I just see the most um, ridiculous things sticking out of the sky almost. It was the Strasbourg Cathedral. The cathedral stood 466 feet tall. It took, they worked on that building for more than 400 years, okay, to put it in perspective. And it was the tallest building in the world for more than 200 years. Now, we Protestants think we like to spend some money, okay? And we got nothing on Catholics. I'm just saying on that. But that cathedral, as beautiful and as ornate and as tall as it was, boiled down to really just one thing. It boiled down to this. This is a brick. That that Strasbourg Cathedral probably perhaps had millions of bricks, and it all compiled together to form the most ornate, most magnificent building I've ever seen. All of the plans, all of the hopes, all of the architects in the world could not physically build it without a simple brick in mind. One stone, one One brick laid upon another built the most ornate, magnificent building I have ever seen. That cathedral is your life. And this brick represents a single thought in your day. My question for us this morning is this. What kind of cathedral are we building? The thoughts that we have in our day slowly are piled up, compiled to create some sort of life and some sort of building. So at the end of our lives, we'll look back and look at the legacy, look at our lives, and we will realize that it was built one thought, one day, one moment in time. What are we building? Your thoughts in life really do matter. I mean, I think we kind of pawn it off that it really doesn't. I can kind of just think about what I want to privately and really has no uh, dictation on how I live. Let me just give you an example of how your thoughts can become you. Okay, how many of you have ever met a man uh, who was super, uh, super duper, um, stupendously bitter at someone for something, right? And then what happens to that particular thought? It kind of ruminates. I've seen this before, and I'm, I'm not going to say who, but anyways, okay, they're, they're, not, they're no longer living, so it's fine. Okay, but I saw that they, they, they got really bitter at one particular person for stealing some money from him, and then his whole life was ruminating on that particular hurt and pain, and he was so bitter towards one person for one particular moment that he became, by the end of his life, a totally bitter person. Friends, listen to me. Watch this. Our status with God can never change, but our mindset about God can change. Our status with God as a Christian can never change. Our relationship of status with God is permanent, is sealed by the Spirit, that we are qualified, rescued, transferred, bought, made alive, complete, holy, blameless, beyond reproach, chosen, and beloved. That's just from the book of Colossians. 
But our relationship with God, our mindset towards Him can change. I mean, just think about your own personal life. How many of you at times have felt really close to God and at other times you feel far from Him? That status, your, your status as a Christian hasn't changed, but our mindset has. What are some of the questions that we wrestle with on a spiritual level? Is, even as Christians, is God real? Does God care? Is He really, really in control? Does He hear my prayers? Do my prayers make a difference? Is there life beyond the grave? I propose to you this morning what I think on I become. If you meditate on doubts, you will doubt. If you meditate on money, you will bow the knee. If you meditate on discouragement, you will be discouraged. If you meditate on stress, you will be stressed. But if you meditate on good things, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if you meditate on those things, that is what you will become in your spiritual life. Maybe the reason we struggle with sins and the distractions of legalism, mysticism, and asceticism, maybe the reason we have strongholds of sin in our life, maybe the reason we're struggling with doubt in our life has less to do with our circumstances and more to do with our daily thought process. Our thoughts become us. That's the space that Paul talks about today. Paul, in a sense, kind of goes behind the curtain of a Christian life. I mean, we like to kind of put on the nice shell for everybody else. Okay, I'm just saying, I'm not picking anybody. It's just the way we're wired, okay? We kind of put on this shell. So what Paul really does, he already has talked about who you are in Christ, that you're sealed in Him, that you're bought with a price, that you're made alive. And so Paul then kind of takes this thought of your thought life and kind of goes behind the curtain to coach us on what to think about. The question Paul answers today is this, since we have been raised with Christ, what should we seek? Since I've been redeemed, since my certificate of debt is paid, since he died on the cross, since I'm made alive in him, what should I seek in my day-to-day life? Today, I want to talk to you about behind the curtain to think about that and not this. To give you a brief preview, kind of give you an idea of where I'm going. Since we have been raised with Christ, verse 1 is what are we to do. Verse 2 is how are we to do it. And verses 3 and 4 is why are we to do it. So if you have your text, notice it with me. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And let us just kind of quickly set up the context. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on the context, but I do like to review because, like I say, uh, repetition is theological glue. So who is this letter written to? The book of Colossians is written to believers, but not just believers like the church in Corinthians. If you've ever read that book, they're, they're a hot disaster, we would say. But the church in Colossae, they're Gentiles and Jews mixed together, and they are a great church. I mean, I hope that our church is described as he describes them in chapter 1, that they walk by the Spirit, that they love by the Spirit, that they hope in the gospel. But there is... Um, a scratch that won't heal, that could infect the whole, that there is something below the surface that is bubbling up and that concerns their pastor Epaphras. It's the issue of Gnosticism. So how does Paul, um, how does he heal it? How does he address it? He, Paul, puts Neosporin on, okay? Do it all the time. But he brings them back to the basics. 
instead of getting side sidelined about Gnosticism and all the other things in life, let us remember the truth. What truth? Number one, he reminds them of their redemption. For the Father rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And all God's people say, Amen. That we are qualified, transferred, and rescued. Then he reminds them of who Jesus truly is. That Jesus is Lord. Amen. That he is master and that he is king over what? Over all creation. All creation. Not just parts, but over all. He is God over all creation, all of his recreated beings, his new creation, and over reconciliation. And then, if they haven't gotten the point by now, Paul then brings them back to even more of a basic. He reminds them of their redemption, their Lord, and then their model, Paul. Paul is saying, hey man, if I could sit in prison and endure, then so can you. That's chapter 1, 1 through 2, 5. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul turns the page. He turns the discussion from the doctrinal to the application with the uh, one of the deepest verses in all of Colossians 2, 6. says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, that's 2, 5 and before, so then walk in him. So walk in him. Okay, so walk in him. Paul, for the rest of the time, from 2, 6 on, is talking about how do we walk in Christ? How do we apply the truth? And Paul today is talking about our thought life. The thoughts that we have that no one else sees. Since we have been raised with Christ, what should we do? The what, the how, and the why. Notice verse 1 of chapter 3. This is where we pick up this morning in our text. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, I want you to kind of notice this verse up here. Uh, the, the point this morning, I'll put it up on the slides here in just a minute. Since we have been raised with Christ, what should we do? We should seek things above. But if you look at this verse, it really breaks down into three main pieces. You have the first part, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, this part on piece one, piece two is keep seeking the things above, and then piece number three is where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And just notice right off the bat, what do you know I'm going to point out? Okay, you know, you know where this is going. Okay, uh, so it's the Greek conjunction un. It's the Greek word, or the Greek word, the English word, therefore. Therefore is there for a reason. This is the third time in the book of Colossians that Paul uses this word. And Paul uses the word therefore in all of his letters to kind of give us markers for his logic and his argument. But what does it do? Therefore is there for the reason. Because, because of what I just said, therefore do this. So the therefore then takes us back to the last one, which I believe is in 2.16 or 2.15. Because there are so many distractions in the church, because we're all tempted to follow legalism, because we're all tempted with, by asceticism and mysticism, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, you, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. But if you notice that first part there, Paul is not really, it looks like, and it is a conditional sentence, but it's really kind of not. What he's really saying is, since you have been raised with Christ. And that's what he's been talking about really all to this point as a whole. 
Since we have been raised with Christ, what are we to do? Keep seeking the things above. The New American Standard Translation does a good job uh, translating this well. But in the original language, this, this whole phrase, I'm going to move this out of the way so I don't plunk. Okay. So in the original language, this whole phrase, keep seeking the things above, is only three words. He literally says, seek things above. But if you notice in your New American, it says, keep seeking things above. Why does it tell you that? It's because this word in the original language, seeking, is a present active imperative. Present tense showing continual actual act, continuing action in the present. Forgive me this morning. I've had too much coffee. Okay. Keep seeking. So at all times in your day, at any moment, constantly be seeking the things above. Why? Because our thoughts Become us. Then notice the last phrase. But what are we to seek? Seek what? Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What are the things above to seek where Christ is? Instead of getting distracted by the empty deceptions of the world that are contrary to the truth, instead of getting caught up in legalism, the do and do not, the appearance of godliness, Instead of getting wrapped up in mysticism, the experience of godliness. Instead of getting captured by asceticism, the act of godliness. Instead of, within the context, making mountains out of molehills. Instead of getting bent around the axle, set your mind on that and not on this. Set your mind on that. Where Christ is and where is he? It says, seated at the right hand of God. What does that mean? It's two things. The right hand of God is the place of power and of victory, but it's also the place of intercession. Because Christ is seated at the right hand of God, because he is in the position of power and victory, had victory over sin, because he intercedes on our behalf, seek that things up there where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and not this. But how do we do that, right? So here's the point. first point is this. Since we have been raised with Christ, seek things above. But how? How do we seek the things above? Verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things on earth. Point number two, since we have been raised with Christ, think on that and not on this. The literal translation is to contemplate things above. It's actually almost the exact same construction as verse one. So he says, seek things above, verse one. And then he says in verse two, contemplate things above. But why? You know, why would Paul repeat himself? In a sense, why would he, why would he repeat himself in back-to-back verses? Um, how many of, when, you, when your mama was uh, really serious, what did she always do? She first off said your whole name, and then if you said your whole name, you're in really big trouble. Um, but then she repeated herself. You know, recently I would say, you know, Bryn, you need to get up and brush your teeth. Bryn, get up. And brush your teeth. Does Bryn say to me, um, Daddy, why do you repeat yourself? Okay? No. She knows exactly why 
I repeated myself, it is for the sake of emphasis that she really needs to get up and do it. That's the same reason Paul essentially says the same thing in verse 1 as he says in verse 2. It is very, very important to seek things above. How do we do that? It's by thinking on things of that, not on things of this. Think on that, not this. Why? Because our thoughts become us. Put that in your brain. Can I just, um, there's a lot of garbage in the world. Can I get an amen to that one? Let me say that again. There's a lot of garbage in the world. Uh, One more time. There's a lot of garbage in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Um, That's the stuff we think about, right? I mean, it's, it's so much more difficult to think about what Christ has done for us than for us to think about the stress in life. Our thoughts become us. Now, before some of you think that I'm turning into a Tony Robbins or Think and Grow Rich, okay, Paul understood the spiritual importance of our daily thoughts. I mean, think about what Paul does in chapter 1. Think about the that all of the truth that he conveys. I'll give you some. That you are bought, you are made alive, you are complete in Christ, you hope in the gospel, you love in the spirit, you've been transferred, you have been qualified, you have been rescued, you are you have been made righteous and holy. This theme of the importance of what we think about really matters is really nothing new in Pauline literature. I mean, I want you to think about some other passages that Paul shows how important it is to control your daily thought life. I mean, think about Romans 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. For according to the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. Where else again? So not only just in the book of Colossians chapter 3 does Paul talk about how important it is to think on that and not this. He repeats it in Romans 12, 1 through 3, but where else? Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this is it. 4.8. Finally, brother, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. What are we to think on? Think on that where Christ is and not on this. All of the depravity and the darkness of the world. Friends, there is only um, one person in this world that you can control. I'm going to say something. The joy of your life has less to do with your circumstances of your life and more to do with your thoughts in your life. Can I say that again? The joy of your life has less to do with the circumstances of your life and more to do with your thoughts in your life. Can we just say 
We like to blame other people for our problems. It's just the, just the way we're wired. And when you're blaming other people for your problems, guess what you're not thinking about? <laughs> that. You know, when I was just kind of unpacking this text and talking about it on a pragmatic level to Byron Bradshaw, I just thought to myself that, you know, it's, it's so much easier for us to think about the bad things in life than the good things. It's so much easier to think about all of the stress and the what-ifs than what even Christ has done or the blessings he has given to us. Can, amen? I mean, quite frankly, recently, what, what's one thought going on in our culture? What if the banking system fails? What if that president gets elected? You know, what if a bill comes in the mail? If you think of things down here, then the cathedral that you are building with every single thought of your life is going to be pretty ugly. Your life is built one thought, one moment at a time. What kind of building are we creating? Set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. What are the things of earth? Is God a God of stress? So don't meditate on it. I could, yeah, I could use that one. <clears throat> is God a God of lies? So don't think about the lies. Can I... Um, there are lies we tell ourselves even about ourselves. That I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not able, I'm not smart. And if you rotate those around in your brain, those are things on earth. Guess what you're going to end up like? You're not going to be able to do that. Think on that, not on this. Is, a God, is God a God of immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry? He is not, which we'll see in verse 5 next week. Instead of focusing on the things of earth, stress, worry, anxiety, immorality, temptations, sin, what if, let us think on that and not on this. This is the second point today. Since we have been raised with Christ, think on that and not this. That's the point. I mean, if you could boil it down to one simple idea, this is Paul's whole idea in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, to make a concerted effort to think about all of the things that Christ has done, where Christ is and not on the things of earth. But why? You know? Why should we think on that and not this? Notice there are three reasons in your text. Two in verse 3 and one in verse 4. Notice verse 3 with me. This is the first reason. Four. I'm just going to pause real quick before I answer why we should think on that and not this. For, notice here, it's the Greek conjunction gar. Whenever you see an F-O-R, let me, let me back up just a second. The Greek, Greek conjunction or conjunctions in general are probably the most important words for exegesis, but the verbs are the most colorful. This tells me the relationship between verses 3 and 4 and 1 and 2. For, F-O-R, tells me that he is explaining something from verse 2. For, the ex- explanation, why should you think on that, not this? For you have died. The word died there is an aorist tense verb. It is a past tense that is completed in the action. I don't really like have died. What Paul is saying, this is in the position of emphasis as well. This is in a sense highlighted, underlined, bolded, you know, big type. For you died. The old man is put off. You've been made alive. You are complete in Christ. 
That you are stand before God holy and blameless beyond reproach, but not of ourselves, not because of what we have done, but because Christ's sacrifice was sufficient, amen? That the certificate of debt, as we saw in chapter 2, is paid in full. So why should we think on that? For you have died. The old man, the old way of thinking, the old man is gone. We have put off. You have died with Christ. Things of the world no longer have dominion over us. We are no longer slaves to sin, but now we are slaves to righteousness. For the chains of sin and death we have been set free from. For you have died. Past tense, it's done. Reason number one. Reason number two. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Why should we think on that, not this? It's because we have died and our life is hidden with Christ. Back up to verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. What's the problem with that word hidden? The Greek word for hidden here in verse 3 is the Greek word krupto, and it's used only 17 times in the New Testament. And what's, our, what's the problem with this word hidden in our culture? That when we think of somebody hiding something, what kind of connotation is that? It's a, it's a negative connotation. Oh, they're hiding something, right? But that is, is actually a very positive connotation in the original language. It's used 17 times in the New Testament. And what's most, the most colorful use is in the, in the parable of the talents. If you remember that one, the king or the ruler gave one servant five talents, one servant two, and then one servant one. Remember that story? So then what are the ones with the two and the five do? They, they invest it and then they double their money. But then what does the servant of the one talent do? He goes and hides it. Why? For safekeeping. That's the idea. For you have died and your life is hidden away for safekeeping with Christ in God. That is the idea that the sovereign God of the universe guarantees our new life. He hides you away in a sense. He recreated you. He secures you for the day of redemption. And he keeps you away for safekeeping where rust and moth cannot destroy. Reason number one, you died. Reason number two, you are hidden with Christ. But then why else should we think on that and not this? When Christ... ah. Who is our life? I could spend about a year just on that one phrase. Why is he our life? What does that even mean? Why is our life is because his sacrifice was sufficient that he died to give me new life so I could put off the old man and so that I could be a new creation. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Since we have been raised with Christ, think on that, not this. Why? Because he will return. I think verse 4, I don't think Paul is really telling them about pending punishment. I think sometimes in our culture, especially conservative cultures, when we think about Christ returning, what do we think about? We think about the day of the Lord, Joel chapter 2, the day of punishment and fire. Okay, that's what we think about. But I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. He's not trying to manipulate us because of the pending punishment. You know, you say, okay, you know, you might not want to do that because your dad will see it when he gets home. That's pending punishment. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's talking about the pending victory that we have when Christ shall return. Verse 4, when Christ 
who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The reason we should think on that and not this is because one day he will return in glory and make all things new. One day all of the garbage, and one day of all the depravity, and all of the brokenness, and the bitterness, and the resentment, and the hurt, hurt that we have, all things will be made new. So why should we think on that? You died, you are hidden for safekeeping, and he will return. Our thoughts become us. What does that tell me? What does Paul tell me on a pragmatic level as a believer that it takes a conscious choice to control or to be aware of what we think on on a daily basis? Because you have been raised with Christ, because you are made alive in him, because you are made complete in him, because your certificate of debt is paid, because Jesus is Lord over all, because you have been transferred by the Father from darkness to light, because you are chosen holy and beloved and blameless, because you've been raised with Christ, we should control what our mind thinks about, friends. The old man is put off. You have died. So let us replace our old, broken, blaming other people with the thoughts of where Christ truly is. Our thoughts become us. So think on that and not this. The question is this, I mean really if I'm honest, this whole passage is really just practical in nature. Um, I think it's relevant to all of our lives to be cognizant of what we think about on a daily basis, to think about what we are building with our life. We've all seen men and women have a thought being captured in their mind and their life turns out to be exactly that. (laughs) Okay, all right. what do we think about on a daily basis? I'm not I'm asking you just as a friend, as a pastor, as Paul, what are the thoughts that roll around in our brain? Let me back up for a second. What is the that? The point today is to think on that and not this, right? That's the whole idea. If you haven't caught that memo by now, I've repeated it like 25 times. Okay, that's the point. Okay. But what 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 are the thoughts that we can have? Let me just ask the question, and you can awkwardly stare at me. It's cool. It happens. Um, What are some things to think about on that in our daily life? What are some of the that, the heavenly things where Christ is that we can think about? His goodness. Very good. Blessings. Anything else? What's that? Gratitude, very good. Overflowing with joy. That's right. Chapter 2, verse 7. What else? Eternal security. Right? Once saved, always saved. What else? Love. This is what I want you to do this week. Um, Application number one is this. To jot down ten thoughts of that from just the book of Colossians. So what I want you to do this week in your spare time, since we have tons of it, I'm sure, um, at lunch this week or whenever, I want you to read through the book of Colossians cover to cover, and I want you to come up with a thoughts of that. What can I think about in life to replace the garbage that's in my brain? So ten, things, ten thoughts that you can replace the this with. 
But then question number two is, what is the this? What are your daily thoughts that pull you down, that distract you from who you truly are in Christ? So this is what I'm going to do. So application number one is to jot down ten that, okay? You're, I'll give you a hint. Just go to chapter one and chapter two alone. You can find about 25 that I'm wholly blameless beyond reproach, that my debt, certificate of debt is canceled out, that he is Lord, that he's sustainer of all life. That the Father transferred, rescued me from the domain of darkness. I mean, all these things. There's like six right there. But this is what I want you to do. So jot down ten ideas. But then at the end of your day, one day this week, I'm just asking for one day this week, at the end of your day, I want you to pause before you go to bed. And I want you just to journal. So jot ten ideas and then journal. I alliterated so you would remember that. Application number jot. Application number two is journal the this. At the end of your day, I want you to take out a piece of paper and I want you to think, make a list of all of the thoughts you had in that day. It, it, it could be dark. It could be good. It could be like, I hated my boss today, okay? I threatened to quit today. I, you know, I, uh, you know, I'm so, I don't know. Anyways, moving on. Just make a list of all of the thoughts. And let me just be honest with you. You will be amazed at the thoughts that you think every day that you just breeze on by that have a tremendous amount of influence on your life that you don't even realize that you're thinking about. What do they think about me? You know? What is, what, what should I do here? What am I worried about? What if this happens? What if that happens? These are all thoughts in our lives that cause us to live a certain way. And then kind of the last question I would have for you, after you jot and journal, just kind of answer the question, how do those thoughts currently shape your life? Because that's Paul's idea. But I know some of you might be saying, okay, Byron, it's, uh, I get it. Okay, think on that, not this. Okay, I can journal. I can come up with ten things to think about. But what about all of the things down here that I have to think about? I mean, you can't go to work, and then your boss comes into your office asking you to do something. You say, hey, boss, um, just a second, I'm thinking about John 3.16, right? It doesn't, doesn't really work out that way. Um, I get that. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the things you have to do for work. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about the thoughts that you think in your car on the way to work, the thoughts that you have at lunch. The thoughts that you have while you get ready for work. The thoughts that you have in private that no one else sees. That is the space that I think Paul is talking about. And that's the space I want you to think about this week. Just one day this week, think about all of the things that you think about on a daily basis. What cathedral are we building with our lives? Thought by thought. Since we are raised with Christ, what should we do? Our thoughts become us, so think on that, not this, why you died, you are hidden in Christ, and he will return in victory. That's the point of, of Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Um, you know, all this is great, but it's reserved. It's not for everybody. It's for everybody that believes in Jesus Christ that has been born again, that has been made alive. All of this stuff that I've been talking about is reserved for Christians, those who believe in Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, then Christ has come and he has died to pay for your sin in full. Let me just read Colossians 2, 
verse 13 through 15. He has paid for all the sins of the world. When you're dead and you're... Let me back up a little bit. Having been buried with him in baptism, which you also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, this is where I want to pick up, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of your sin, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile towards us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And all God's people say, Christ has come and he has died to pay for your sin in full, to bring you back to him, to reconcile you to himself, and then he offers you the gift of eternal life by his death, by grace you have been saved through faith. The way you open the gift, the only way that you are saved is by believing in Jesus Christ. You can't be good enough. You can't do enough. You can't, it's not about how you grew up or if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. It's not about what your parents taught you. It all boils down. I think we make Christianity and being spiritual and being religious all about what it's not. It's about this. The only gate to eternal life is by faith in Christ alone. Period. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is exclusive. And he is given to you as a gift that he has paid for in full by his death. And that you only open eternal life by placing your faith in him, by believing in him as Lord and Savior of your life. If you have questions about that, if you're uncertain of where you are with the Lord, if you don't know, if you don't have a relationship with him, I'll be up front. I'll be glad to answer any questions you have. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, just the, I thank you for the pragmatic, the practical nature of this passage, Lord, just to be aware of what we think about on a daily basis and to reshape our mind, to think on that where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and not on this, the things of earth. Lord, I just pray this week that we would just take time to think about what we should think about and think about what we do think about and compare the two. Lord, uh, may we be people that are doers of the word and not merely hearers that delude themselves. And that goes for me as well. <laughs> okay, Father... Um, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us. We thank you for the love that you've shown to us on the cross. For those that do not know you as Savior, for those that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I pray that today, of all days, that this would be the best day of their life, that they would believe and be born again and be changed. Lord, um, I believe there's probably someone in here that needs to put their faith in Christ. And Lord, I pray that they would. And thank you for this church. And I just I praise you for it. And thank you for our devotion to the preaching and teaching of your word and to loving one another. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.